So this being Labor Day weekend, uh, I thought it would be something that we could talk about looking at scriptures today and meshing our, what we have to do in this world in terms of, of work, our labor, our vocation, whatever it is that we want to call that, uh, and linking that with, with, with what God's Word says about that, coming with a clear understanding about uh, what God thinks. What does the Bible say about work? Uh, is it a curse or is it a blessing? And then, you know, see, then seeing how our work it gives us the opportunity to partner with God in reaching people for Christ. So on this Labor Day weekend, I'm sure there's probably uh, mixed uh, emotions about work, jobs, and the work ethic. Um, an employee bulletin board in some particular building uh, contained this following memo that said, In case of fire, flee the building with the same reckless abandon that occurs each day at quitting time. I, some of you can probably identify with that. When, time, when it's quitting time, it's quitting time, and you're ready to get out, right? Now, you know, there are just some fascinating, interesting jobs uh, in, this, in this world. Uh, when we were in Israel, and in Jerusalem in particular, uh, we saw a, a scene like this every morning. Uh, a guy was going to work. Got the picture of the guy from Israel. Yeah, you notice that? He's walking up and down the streets of, of Jerusalem on those steps, and he's carrying that load of bread, freshly baked bread, on a tray on his head. Now, he had some kind of little, I don't know, like a donut ring up there on top of his head that balanced it on there. But he was up and down those steps, and every day you could see him with that. And, and bread, Jesus talked about in the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, our daily bread. They still buy their bread every day. And some of it is the most oh, delicious smelling bread. There was one, though, that had this particular smell to it, and I never could identify what it was. And one morning in the, in the uh, uh, dining area in our hotel, they had it out there in, in small pieces, and I got a piece of it. And um, I did not like the flavor. It was really, it was awful. I never tasted anything like that before. It took me all day to get that taste out of my mouth. I'm not sure what it was. But all the other bread, and I love bread, and all the other bread was just fantastic. But that was, a, that was an interesting scene to see that. And that reminded me of the fact that, you know, there are all kinds of jobs around. And there are two shows that, that I kind of like to watch. All my TV viewing after Jeopardy goes off is to go to, uh, go to the reality shows and that. And it's not just Duck Dynasty, but I've gotten infatuated with Northwoods Law up in Maine and, and people living in Alaska and all the different shows about Alaska and life up there. They're interesting. But there are two other shows that I like. One is How It's Made. You ever watch that? And, and it's interesting, fascinating, isn't it? I got hooked on that when I was watching uh, Sesame Street with my children when they were young. And there would be a segment about how things were made. And I always thought, well, I always wondered how that was made. That's interesting. And then the other one is Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. You watch that? With some of the dirty jobs that he did. You know, there are absolutely some dirty jobs that have to be done in our culture and our society. In fact, um, well, we just Googled about several of them. Let's see what we got up here. Some dirty jobs that people have to do. That one you can't see really as clear as it should, but that is uh, a sewage, sewage inspector. Now, I don't know how he does that except to say, yep, that's sewage, all right. Yep. Uh, then we got a coal miner. Uh, we have a, a nephew who uh, has two degrees, one in mining and an MBA, both from the University of Kentucky, and he's the manager of a coal mine in Illinois. Uh, then we got a crime scene cleanup. You know, that's a terrible job, but somebody has to do that. Um, one that we probably might have a little bit of odd feelings about is uh, the next shot, and that is um, 
funeral director in Balma, you know, licensed funeral director, uh, and having to embalm a body. Uh, then we go to one that's uh, very important, that's garbage collector. Uh, then we got a landfill operator. Uh, and then, uh, uh, this is a really dirty one when it, when it starts flowing. That's all rig worker. And then uh, there's a plumber. And then the next one is a porta, porta potty cleaner. Uh, and you might think, well, I didn't know there was such a thing as that because I've never been in a clean porta potty, right? Well, they're not glamorous jobs, but somebody has to do them. So, on this Labor Day, what I want us to do is think about a healthy concept about work and labor. It's not a curse. And understand that biblical concept and how we can partner with God. And when we understand that in the context, then we see our jobs and our work, our employment, uh, really is an important part of God's plan for this world. And it's a necessary part for our life. But how about seeing your workplace, if you're still employed and, and, uh, and you haven't had an opportunity to, to retire, um, that, that helps you understand that this is my mission field. This is where God has placed me. So it's an interesting question to ask. You know, how do you see your job or your employment? See, our, our younger generation always, uh, you need to hear what the Bible says about work so that you have a proper concept about it because you probably hear a lot of people groan about having to get up and go to work all the time. In fact, I think we all could be kindred spirits uh, with the little six-year-old boy who, uh, after his first day of school, was asked by his father, how do you like it? And he said, well, it's okay, but it sure does cut into your playtime. And that's true. You know, work does that. Uh, you also might have the concept of one guy who said, every morning I get up and I look through the Forbes list of the richest people in America. If I'm not on that list, I go to work. And that's true for most of us. What does the Bible say about work? Well, the Bible is pro-work. It's a pro-work book. Uh, and you have to remember that work does not come to us as punishment for the sin that Adam fell to. Some people have that negative attitude and think that's what happened. But if you look at Genesis 2.15, before the fall, the Scripture says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To till it and keep it. So Adam had work to do even long before the fall. It was not a curse, but his work did get harder. Because they were in paradise and, and perfection before. And um, all, then once they sinned and they were put out to have to work by the sweat of their brow, then God said there's going to be thorns and thistles that's going to make your work even more difficult than that. So I think there are several things that the Bible it says about work that's good. Well, number one is that work is good. You know, it's good for God when we work to the best of our ability. And work is good for the world when we use our knowledge, our skills, and connections to make the world work the way God intends it to do. And work is good for us when we allow God to use our work to shape us and mold us into the people he would have us to be. And then I think it also says that work is good for the gospel when the quality of our work is so distinctive that it causes people to wonder why we're faithful at work, why we work with such a good attitude, why we take care of customers with pride and satisfaction and patience and all of those kinds of things. Now that leads us to one or two passages of Scripture that we'll consider today. The first one is in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 through 12. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you. 
so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, that's those who do not believe, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. There have been some issues and struggles going on. If you talk, read through uh, his writings there in Thessalonians, that some of them thought that the, day of the coming of the Lord was at hand, and so they decided they didn't need to work. They didn't need to do anything. And some harsh words, he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Some people take that in a lot of different contexts. But the biggest challenge that I find from that passage of Scripture, those two verses, is this. That it's a challenge for us to, first of all, consider the quality of our work. Consider the quality of our work. See, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you work. You need to do more than just saying, I'm going to put in my time and get out as quickly as I can. I hit that time clock in the morning and hit it in the afternoon or whatever. Or however long, 60, 70 hours sometimes people put in at their jobs. Some are very demanding. It's more than just getting your pay and ignoring uh, any other thing around you. But it's a call for us to consider the quality of our work because we are representing God on the job. See, if we have the attitude that says, and, and some people might think Paul is saying this, that you're just content with your job no matter what happens, no matter the pay, and ignore any responsibilities for advancement, that wouldn't go very far in a job interview, would it? If you would say, well, I'm just content to stay at an entry level the rest of my life. That, that wouldn't go over. That's not Paul, what Paul is saying. He's writing to address some concerns, legitimate concerns. First of all, he reminds the church that work is a noble endeavor, whether you're doing it with your hands or whether you're doing it with your head. It's a noble, uh, it's a noble endeavor. Secondly, he said, when Christ does appear suddenly, if your work is noble, then you don't have anything to fear. You don't have anything to be ashamed of. And then thirdly, he said, there are times when you just simply need to lead a quiet, simple life, and the best thing you can do for the gospel is just to have respect for those people around you and let your faith just come out in the way you work. And I'm reminded there of the scripture in Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So you ever think about that? Put that scripture in its context about your job, your work, your place of employment. See, it is the Lord Christ you are serving when you are working. You might have a boss, a supervisor, or whatever. But you also are working for the Lord serving Him. Uh, the average, I read this this week too, that the average American worker changes jobs seven times during his or her career. You know, some people say, well, you know, there's just no company loyalty any, 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 anymore today. People change companies and jobs, you know, just like this. Well, I think part of that is that in some places we find there's no company loyalty to employees. Some of you understand what we're talking about there. Sometimes you get a certain age and it costs them a lot to carry you. They can hire two young people inexperienced to cover for one person, what your job used to be. And, and that, that's not good either. So what does it say to us about, about Christians and about our, our work concept, our work ethic? And by the way, if you happen to be retired or if you never have worked outside of the home, there's still things you can do. If you're retired, there are places to volunteer. You can volunteer at school, in hospitals, or uh, God's storehouse or a food pantry somewhere else or all those kinds of places. And you can also help tutor other people uh, in, in, the, in their attitude and concept about jobs. Uh, and there are places here at church where you can volunteer. And some people do that during the week. But I think here are four reasons, the bottom line reasons, 
as to why God says in his word that it's good for us to work, okay? Number one is that we show the glory of God through our work. So I think God wills work so that when we work in reliance on his power and according to his pattern of excellence, then his glory is made known and our joy is increased. We know the Bible teaches us in Genesis 1 that we are created in the image of God. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. You know, when we, when we think about what he is saying to us there, he's not saying about subdue it, and that is to bring it to ruin, which I think uh, in some places that's happening. But it, it's talking about uh, a, a, a wonderful way in which, as God's people, we, we bring forth the glory of God in the way that we work in this world. See, uh, and I, I, in that, we, we display the lordship of God over all of creation as we apply our lives to shaping and controlling it. That's that concept of subduing it, shaping it and controlling it for the purposes of God. We want to bring forth the glory of God. And see, there's also at the same time, then, then there's no negative concepts, con- connotations about work. But at the heart and meaning of work is creativity. That's why God gives us different gifts and different abilities so that we have a multiple a variety of uh, occupations that we can choose from as God leads us to do those. So in our work, we want to show forth the glory of God. Secondly, I think God wills work so that uh, by working, we can provide for the legitimate needs of our life. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, their, their life became a little bit more difficult uh, in the fact that they had to work with the thorns and thistles. In fact, Genesis 3.19 says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. See, before the fall, before Adam and Eve fell into sin, they lived in a paradise. All they had to do was pick fruit off the trees. They did have to take care of the garden and till it and that kind of stuff, but basically it was an easy thing for them to do, providing for life, life's needs. But, After that, it became a little bit more of a struggle. And so the same thing is true for us. It's not a self-reliance. It's still a reliance upon God. But we are provided the jobs and the opportunity so that we can provide for the basic needs of our life, food, clothing, shelter, all those things that we need in life. I think a third reason that God says work is good is because we provide for the work of God's kingdom. We work to earn money to provide for the work of God's kingdom. Just a few moments ago, we had the opportunity to give our offering and our tithes back to God, and it goes for the furtherance of, of His kingdom in, in this world and here in this locality, and particularly the ministries of our church, Spring Valley Baptist Church, and in our community here in Northeast Columbia. See, we learn to earn money to support the ministry of the local church through tithes and offerings. Parents, if you've got children on uh, on an, uh, an allowance basis, or if you reward them for work that they do, pay them for the work that they do that you wouldn't maybe have to do around the house and all, that's an excellent opportunity to start teaching them about stewardship and, and how much that 10% is of what they earn and that they give that back to God because God blesses that and he honors that. Uh, and then the fourth reason I think that God wills work is that it's a way of building bridges for us to share the gospel. 
probably most of us have never really thought about that. You know, we maybe build relationships with people. Uh, we like certain people. We have friendship. You always got somebody probably in any work area that's going to that's going to just kind of grate on your nerves. You might not get along with everybody. Remember what Paul says in Romans 12, as far as it depends upon you, learn to live at peace with all people. You just got to accept the fact that some people aren't going to be your best friend. Some people you don't have anything in common with, and you're not going to have the best of relationships with them. But at the same time, in our work day by day, uh, we rub shoulders with people every day who are unbelievers, and they need to know the gospel. And Working to glorify God helps build bridges so that we can have the opportunity to share the gospel with people. Um, I'm just about through reading through John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. And just this week, the chapter happened to be about, about vocation and work. And this is a direct quote. He says, quote, The vast majority of Christians are meant to live in the world and work among unbelievers. This is their office their calling. And I think most people don't understand that. We don't get that concept. It's just a place to go to work, maybe build some friendships, relationships, get a paycheck. You know, if you're able to stay with the company until you retire, they give you, you know, a watch or whatever and, and a pension. And some places now they don't even offer the pension. Uh, they don't want you to stay that long. Um, we got, I don't know whether you've ever noticed these two signs. We've got signs on, on either entrance into, into our church. We've got a picture of them in case you haven't noticed them. Do you notice that sign? It says, Welcome to Spring Valley Baptist. It's on both driveways. Have you ever noticed on the other side, you're probably in a hurry to get to the restaurant and beat the Catholics and the Presbyterians, right? There it is. You are now entering your mission field. One of the Sunday school classes put that up a couple of years or so ago as a reminder to us that this is our mission field where we go. Now, that concept then leads us to the second passage of Scripture that we find in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 through 16. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says. He says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, those verses encourage us then to the second thing I want to say today, and that is we need to consider the opportunities of our work. First, we're challenged to consider the quality uh, of our work. This is to consider the opportunities of our work. Peter is writing to a diverse group of young believers early in Christianity. They are scattered. Uh, They're feeling somewhat isolated from one another. They're living in a time and a place where it's not very popular to be a believer, and their finding life is somewhat difficult, even to the point of having difficulty sometimes finding a job. But what Peter says to them is, if you want to have your life in order and then consider the opportunities correctly of the opportunities at work, he says to them, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. So before we go even to the point of thinking about building bridges and witnessing about our faith to Christ uh, at work, we need to make sure, first of all, that in our hearts Christ is set apart as Lord. We have to remember that we work for God. He is Lord, and He is Lord over our lives as long as we allow Him to be that. We don't make Him Lord. He is Lord. We allow Him to be Lord. 
And when we do that, people in the workforce will notice. They will wonder. Uh, they'll want to know what makes you tick. Uh, and they will say, boy, that's different from the way other people do these things that we're required to do. And when that does happen, are you going to be ready, as, as Peter challenged his people and us today, to have that answer and to build that bridge? So you've already built the bridge when you have the right attitude and you've worked the way you should. So then being ready means two things. It means being willing. You've got to remember that these believers to whom Peter was writing, uh, they were living in a hostile environment. It wasn't easy to talk about their faith. It isn't always easy or comfortable to talk about our faith today. But are you willing to give an answer and to speak up about your faith when you're asked? And then secondly, being prepared also means being able. That means having something to say, a message to share, a reason, as what Peter says, for the hope that you have within you. See, when people ask you why you work so hard when nobody is watching you, can you be prepared to say, because I believe my work matters to God and I want to do it to the best of my ability? When somebody asks why you're so patient uh, with your customers or clients or co-workers, are you prepared to say, because I believe every person matters to God and is worth my best attention? When someone asks you why you have such a positive outlook, can you be prepared to say, Christ has filled my life with joy and hope? You see, that's being prepared on the job to be able to share the gospel of Christ. Randy Kilgore is a name you might be familiar with. He uh, is vice president of Marketplace Network, an association of people who are interested in the integration of faith and work. And he puts out a document, or he did at one time, where I got this information called Marketplace Moments. And in one of those issues, he talks about being on a commuter train. And uh, he engaged in a conversation with a lady who was on, on her way to work. Obviously, she wasn't a believer. And so she had some negative things to say about that. So he asked her a question. And he had done it before in many different settings. And he got the same basic five answers. He said, what would you like to see most from your Christian co-workers? And this is what she said, five things, very quickly. Number one, I wish my Christian co-workers knew more about their faith, what they believe, and why. Isn't that interesting? I guess maybe sometimes unbelievers have asked believers what is special or important about their faith, and you couldn't answer. I wish my Christian co-workers knew more about their faith what they believe, and why. Then here's the second one. I wish my Christian co-workers had more hope in hard times. You know, of all the things people are looking for in this world, I think they're looking for hope more than anything else. And it seems that when bad things happen in this world, earthquakes, tsunamis, mass shootings, uh, terrorism, all those kinds of things, People are looking for hope. When those bad things happen, sickness, family strife, people are looking to Christians for hope. And if you don't have that hope, if you don't have a hopeful attitude, you're not going to be very positive or an influence in an unbeliever, are you? Third, she said, I wish my Christian co-workers were more curious about the hard questions of life so that when asked those questions, they would already have answers. That's why Peter said, you know, always be prepared to share the reason of the hope that you have in your life. 
know, there are some hard issues out there. Always have been. But I think they're even more compound today. You need to do some studying and, and wrestling with some of these issues and come up with some answers instead of just saying, oh, well, it must be God's will. Okay. Fourth thing is, I wish my Christian co-workers behaved more honorably. Are you surprised at that one? They didn't say, I wish they let down their hair every now and then and get loose with us at the office parties and all that kind of stuff. They just said, I wish that they would behave more honorably. I keep telling you that Christians today look more and more like the culture in which we live. And we're not supposed to. We're supposed to be different. You don't have to be a stick in the mud. But, you know, you, you, you have to look different. You have to look different, and you have to be different, and you have to live different because that's the difference that Christ makes in your life as a believer. You know, I wish my Christian co-workers behaved more honorably. And then the fifth thing is I wish my Christian co-workers were more compassionate. Maybe sometimes we're judgmental and critical and quick to anger and quick to get into a discussion that leads into an argument that leads into broken relationships. And so they wish their Christian co-workers were more compassionate. Those are interesting, five interesting things that non-believers want to see in believers in the workforce. Well, on this Labor Day weekend, I guess we got good news and bad news. The good news is, is that Christians, we are still the go-to people when life gets hard and people are looking for answers. The bad news is that when they do that, oftentimes we fail them. And so my challenge for you today is just simply a biblical challenge, and that is that we need to, to partner with God in our vocation, in our work, so that we make sure that we honor Him and we reveal His glory and we use our gifts and creativity to His glory and we do our jobs, whatever we're called to do, to the best of our ability. We influence our fellow co-workers and that they see that we are real and that we're genuine and that we're sincere in our faith and that our faith has substance to it and that we do have hope in difficult times and we do have a reason for that hope that we can share because of the presence of the Lord Jesus in our life. I saw a bumper sticker, and you probably have seen it too. It says simply, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. You know, debt can be a wonderful encouragement to go to work. But there are other reasons to go to work as well. And one of them is the opportunity, besides earning money for your family and, and your needs in life and to give back to God and all that, but one of the reasons is it's a wonderful opportunity as a mission field. It's a ready-made mission field as you go. So our challenge is that wherever we go, partner with God, that we're on mission with Him in our place of work. Father, we thank you that you give us your word and your will through, your, through this word we call the Bible. And in this that you have said to us that work is good and honorable. And uh, we pray that we will be willing to accept that challenge and to be uh, on mission with you in this world as we partner together with you and we show our faith wherever we work before we try to share our faith. And may we do it to your glory. If there are other decisions today that need to be made, if someone needs to consider Christ as Savior and allow him to be Lord of their life, uh, ready to transfer membership here from another church. And uh, then, Father, we pray that your spirit will move during this time. 
Father, we commit this time of invitation to you and pray for the movement of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.